Hello and welcome to Talking Transfers from the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by 90 Min's transfer correspondent, Graham Bailey, and 90 Min's top cat, Toby Cudworth. How are we doing? Toby, international break, no West Ham to get you down. How's it going? Yeah, good. I'm actually looking forward to uh, Premier League football returning, although I looked at April's schedule, frightening amount of football coming up now. I guess May is going to be the same. So uh, enjoy the next few days while we've got them with no action because it's then going to be full throttle to the end of the season. Yes, indeed. Graham wearing Middlesbrough merch. Are you Are you getting petrified that Michael Carrick might get poached, Graham? Not really. More petrified about being a playoff final. You know, I've got an awful, awful record when it comes to Wembley and Middlesbrough. And even my teams, I think I've been at Wembley seven, eight times now. Never seen a team win. Um, England twice. My best friend, he captain shoes, being a playoff final, lost. And then five times for Middlesbrough, I think. The only time we actually won, and the only time I, we won a final, and it wasn't at Wembley. It maybe shouldn't go. If they get there. Yeah, it's one of those, but my son now is getting to that stage where he's going to want to go. But we hope, we hope, um, we don't need to. We hope it's by the top two. We think we've got a bit of a momentum now. Michael Carrick is doing a wonderful job. And um, yeah, and we'd like to see Sheffield United in the semi-finals of the Cup, which can only help. So yeah, confidence. I wouldn't say we're confident at getting top two, but yeah, we're on a bit of a high. We're, we're hoping so. And yeah, and Carrick, you know, he's... he's um, He's a very good manager. I think the only way of us keeping him probably will be to get promoted, to be honest. Interesting indeed. Uh, Toby, you were going to say something there. Is he a better manager than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? That's all I wanted to know because I know well, Graham this is the thing. loves him. When, when Carrick was, got this job, he had, those, he had the, those few games with Man United. He had three games. I think he beat Arsenal, beat Villarreal, and he drew with Chelsea, I believe. And obviously, he ended up leaving. Uh, but I think he surprised a few people. He's not the only one to come from that coaching team to surprise a few people as well. But uh, yeah, we'll talk about Michael Carrick. Maybe not quite as much, but he's in. I know I've heard some people say he should go to Tottenham, but we'll talk about Tottenham and their managerial uh, decision that they have to make after sacking Antonio Conte in the last couple of days. We'll talk Lionel Messi on today's show. We'll talk Man United's takeover and their plans afterwards. We'll talk a transfer target in goal for them. We'll talk Evan Ferguson. We'll talk Florian Wirtz. We'll talk PSG and Chelsea. Uh, we'll talk a bit of West Ham. Irons in the fire returns for a glorious section during this international break. And we'll also talk about another player that Arsenal and Newcastle United are showing interest in. You can follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders, at Toby underscore Cudworth, and at Graham Bailey. You can also follow us on Night Imin social channels, Night Imin underscore football in general, uh, just across Twitter. Instagram, etc. Also go to nightimin.com and also I'll come to you, Toby. Where can they find all of this transfer information in one place? We've switched it up because we realized it was a little bit complicated for everybody. So 90min.com forward slash talking dash transfers is where you will find all of our exclusive stories in one place. You can indeed visit there. Maybe we should put that in the description of this episode. But yes, let's get into it today. Uh, The big talking point of the week, Tottenham. uh, We have seen Antonio Conte, unfortunately for me, because I was really enjoying the uh, public outbursts or public dressing downs uh, that he was giving to... (laughs) It was just, it was really incredible to see, but Spurs have made that decision now. Uh, Everything's been agreed. 
Conte has left Spurs. Spurs now have decisions to make about how they approach the future. Julian Nagelsmann has also left Bayern Munich in the last few days. And there is, for me, this seems, if Spurs can pull this off, if they want to, that is, this seems like a perfect match in my eyes. Graham, what can you tell us about Julian Nagelsmann and Tottenham? There has been contact between third parties, no direct contact. You know, Nagelsmann only found out recently he's, he's got his P45 from Bayern. The report suggesting the, the, the day after that they've been contact isn't true, from what I'm told from people close to him. But there has been contact between third parties. Now Tottenham are letting them know that there is an interest there. Daniel Levy has done his homework on him previously. He knows all about him. Every top club in Europe knows about Nagelsmann. He's one of the most highly rated young managers in world football, isn't he? And he's going to take his time. You know, even if I think even if Tottenham offered him the job, which I'm not saying they have or they will, um, he would take his time. You know, he's he's looking at the situation around Europe. I believe that by Munich, um, sorry, Real Madrid is one club he's always wanted to manage, and that job doesn't always come about too often. So we presume. I'm not presuming, but it looks like that might be the case this summer with Carlo Ancelotti. Not definite, but it's a possibility. So I think Nagelsmann will take his time. Um, he's, he's he's a very interesting proposition for them now. But there are others Daniel Levy's looking at. I'm told there's probably three names on his shortlist at the moment, one of which is Luis Enrique. I imagine Pochettino's on there as well. So there are options out there for Tottenham. You know, I think he needs to get this right. And um, But yeah. I don't. I don't think he'll he'll jump into an appointment, Levy. But clearly, um, when that's one of Nagelman's qualities available, he, he needs to look at it, and he is. Do you think, Toby, that it's a kind of it, it is a step down for Nagelman, obviously, but maybe it's a step more. He's only thirty-five. <laughs> it's a step more to like this is crazy. Like it's a step more to. I think the level that Nagelman is at, and he would maybe aspire to, and. I think maybe it aligns quite well with Spurs and where they are. I think Perhaps. he's still he's still growing as a manager. He took over when did he become a boss? Twenty eight or twenty nine? I think he was the youngest manager in yeah. Europe, top five Hoffen, league. Hoffen, Hoffen. Yeah. yeah, possibly even in Europe. Um, he's still honing his craft. It was quite a big leap for him to make to go from Leipzig to Bayern knowing that at Bayern you have to be successful on all fronts and they've got so many outspoken directors who have plenty to say on all sorts of subjects. Um, And there was kind of an undercurrent even last season that although Bayern won the title, it wasn't perhaps in the manner that they were expecting. Um, So it could actually be good for Nagelsmann to go to somewhere like Spurs, who we've said on previous podcasts need a bit of padding out don't they in their squads they need to make some signings I think there's players there who need to be coached and improved they've got the the base of um, some good midfield talent but players like Ollie Skip could probably further their game and develop under a coach like Nagelsmann whereas Antonio Conte kind of wanted players who were the finished article and wanted to bring in signings ready to compete immediately Nagelsmann could bring something different for Spurs so potentially a good option for him in terms of his next career move and for Spurs if they do not want to go down the route of bringing Pochettino back you would think Nagelsmann is probably the the ideal fit at this stage I never made uh, any secret of what I think in in this aspect in terms of don't go back (laughs) I think the the Poch thing is uh, Nagelsmann fresh ideas fresh impetus you know can grow alongside I think Potch is going back to where he's known before. A lot of Spurs fans want that. 
obviously want those times back, but who's to say the same heights are going to be hit this time around? He's going back to essentially a point where he was at a few years ago with Spurs. But talking about potentially people going back to their old clubs, that was why I said this segue. Lionel Messi to Barcelona. Graham, do you think this one's going to happen? He's out of contract with PSG in the summer. Uh, Barcelona, obviously, under their own restrictions uh, in terms of we all know uh, how how many levers they've pulled, uh, their financial situation. Is this a possibility for them? Does Messi want it to happen? What are Messi's options? Yeah, that that's the thing with this. But the door is open to Barcelona. John Laporta did an interview with a, an American YouTuber last week where he confirmed again, uh, reiterated, I should say, his desire to bring him back. He said the door is always open at Barcelona, and this was always on Messi. Is he does he want to go back home to Catalonia? He is out of contract at the end of the season at PSG. There is an option there, but it's on both for both to agree to, which is quite quite a sensible thing. And although PSG have been desperately trying to tie him down since the World Cup finals, he's kept them at arm's length. His father, Jorge, has been in talks with PSG, but he's also talked to Barcelona in recent weeks. He's talked to Joan Laporta. There was that feeling originally. Um, from a messy camp that he wouldn't want to work with Laporte or be part of that club or Barcelona with him at the club. But I think that's been smoothed out now. You know, it's all about wanting to play for Barca again. I think his family, although happy in France, really want to go back to Catalonia. I think that's a major thing for him. I think he, whilst he can, I think he does want to go back. He does have interest from, from Saudi Arabia, Al Itahad made him an offer into Miami. He's always got that option at David Beckham's club. But as it stands, it looks as if it's between PSG and Barcelona. And, you know, he's keeping PSG at arm's length, as I said, Scott, and he's doing that for a reason. And as, as soon as he gives a nod to Barcelona to do this, we know about all the financial issues. But it's not stopping them talking to numerous players. You know, Ilkay Gundogan is currently in talks with them about a move. They're talking to Martinez at Athletic Bilbao, the defender there. They're talking to lots of players. There's always a feeling there that they'll get it done. And that, we had this last summer, didn't we? How they signed all these players, they'll get it done. There's Gavi's new deal to sort out, which they, they believe will get done. But yeah, if Lionel Messi gives the yes here, Barcelona will do it. And Setting here now, I think he's heading back to Barcelona. I think, I think partly to complete that circle again, but for family reasons as well. And I think he's got a couple of years possibly left in him for Barcelona. So why not? This is it, though, right, Toby? Like the the way that he left, the tears in front of everyone, the fact that it was going to happen, and then carpet pull like swept away from him. <laughs> There is a narrative here, the glorious return of Messi to Barcelona. And Barcelona will die now on that all summer, <laughs> won't they? Yeah, look, he never envisaged a world where he would ever leave Barcelona. He was going to stay there for the remainder of his career. It was just the financial implications and the fact that Barcelona couldn't register that new contract that prevented him from staying. As Graham's pointed to there, I think family reasons above all else. As well, he wants to return his family to Spain. It's where they were at their happiest. And it's kind of the most romantic way to end Messi's career is to go back to the club that made him the player that he is, in a way. Um, it's not take away from the individual genius that he obviously is. But Barcelona played a big part of Messi's development in his formative years. And I think it's 
the ideal landing spot for him to go back, cement Barcelona's place back at the top of European football. Um, they're positioning themselves. They're going to win the league this year. They're going to win La Liga. So the next step for them is to kind of get back into the Champions League mix, isn't it? They've had two very disappointing seasons in Europe and they pride themselves like a Bayern on competing for Europe's top prize and having Messi in their ranks would give them the best possible chance of doing that and uh, would be a wonderful way for Messi to end his career as well. Yeah, I think there's a bit of an inevitability maybe around this at the moment. Obviously, not to say that this is wrapped up and done, but I think looking at it from the outside, I think there seems to be an unfinished story there. So we'll see if Barcelona can pull it off. We'll see if Messi wants to pull it off. Uh, I I think it's a bit inevitable personally, but yes, we'll see how this one develops. Uh, Let's talk, let's shift on. We've got a lot of topics to cover today in the time allotted. Uh, Let's talk Manchester United and their takeover, Graham. Uh, The latest, this may well develop uh, in the next uh, few hours after we record this or the next day or so after we record this. But as it stands, where are the where is the takeover at the moment? And also, we have uh, learned of potential interest in Paul Mitchell, who's leaving Monaco as well. Is there an idea of how he would fit into a structure at Man United? He Paul Mitchell, someone who who was interested in Manchester United last summer, as we know, Scott. I think I think there's room for him now if he was to come in. Um, Sporting director football. There's lots of different roles, isn't there? We've seen Chelsea have lots of people brought into that but I think he's of interest to United um, the current hierarchy and uh, and bidders as well we know Sir Jim Ratcliffe is a fan of his so he, he's confirmed our story from February where he's leaving um, Monaco a year early he's helping them find his replacement he's admired throughout the country and he's a he's a very very good um, option for them it wouldn't surprise me to see him turn up there Liverpool have had contact with him as well you know they still haven't replaced Michael Edwards so he is an option for them as well. Um, so yeah, keep an eye on Mitchell. In terms of the takeover, Scott hasn't progressed too much. Rain Group are going over it. We we don't know yet whether there's going to be a third round of bids or talks or an exclusivity period for one of these bidders. We don't know if anyone's met the price yet. The Glazers put down, or there's this thing about the Glazers, isn't it? Does <coughs> pardon me? Does Avram Glazer? really want to leave the club. It doesn't look like he does, Scott, does it? I think that's the fear, isn't it, amongst United fans where a couple of the Glazers want to stay and they've been getting these bids in as well. Um, and, and they're assessing it all now. We we really don't know where this is at at the moment, Scott. We don't know whether the, the Glazers have said, yeah, let's sell completely, let's push ahead with um, other bids, including Qatar and Ratcliffe. And I guess as United fans, Scott, you can probably say more than me. I guess frustration is starting to eke in a little bit. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I can see, yeah, it's that thing, isn't it, where you you really, in terms of United fans, you're no further on than we were in January, really. Um, We we know a few of the bidders. We don't know who's the best bid. We don't know if anything's been accepted. We don't know if the Glazers will accept. We don't know if the Glazers will sell. So you're not that much further on, are we, really? Yeah, um, obviously, I think... The, the hold-up point has been, A, the Glazers want X amount of money. What is it, Graham? £6 billion, pounds, is it? I, that's the ideal, £6 billion. It, I was told in January they were hoping for more than that. Yeah. But in terms of where English football is at, because a lot of this is where, you know, the Glazers have made an absolute fortune off United. Was it less, is it a billion they played or less than a billion? 
seven nine five million i think it was wow so you know and a lot of that was i don't know how much yeah wasn't that that wasn't their money (laughs) yeah and and they've made and they've taken money out the club since they've made that money back numerous times i would imagine scott as well so yeah that's it's really irking the club's fans isn't it i think we'll see a bit of um green and yellow coming up next few weeks scott coming back out the scarves it's never Um, it's always been there graham The, the 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 criticism and the jokes that are made that's always present just uh, more I must admit, and... when I was at Leeds United, I didn't see many green and yellow flags when I was at the Leeds game. But that said, um, they really don't want him to stay today. I think we'll see that ramped up. They really want to emphasise to the Glazers, listen, we don't... And it's that thing, of, you don't get how much investment comes in, Scott. If they're, if they're the figurehead still, that's not what the fans want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, go on, Tob. I was just going to say, Scott, are you in favour of the Thomas Zillicus fan-led... Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Surely it's a no comment. We couldn't get the cat out or glazes out of him last week, TC. Surely this is another no comment coming. Maybe, maybe Thomas will come on talking transfers for us. He seems to be doing all the rounds everywhere <laughs> with everyone at the moment. Uh, but I, I think, think I would take more seriously if you made a bid, Scott. To be honest. <laughs> I think we've seen enough over the last few days to suggest that that one is not going to happen. Uh, it seems pretty much dreamland. But yeah, uh, like, like we say, we... The Glazers, I think there's a lot of posturing on a lot of sides here. The Glazers obviously want the best price if they're going to sell at all. The buying clubs want to spend the least amount of money possible. They don't want to be played off and they don't want to overpay. They Nobody wants to fall into this trap. So it's just a big public game at the moment. And we'll see. I think at some point this week, we were expecting to hear something, right, Graham? It is. I think I think it was in the media a little bit reticent to believe anything we hear because we had it on the Wednesday night where the the sources close to both camps confirmed bids had gone in, and then within the hour they went back on that and was saying, "Oh no, they haven't gone in, and there's an extension." It was an absolute joke on Wednesday night, and that was caused by this. And, and as I as I've always said, Scott, I've been fairly critical of this, the Qatari PR when it comes to this. Or we're confident we're the favourites, and I did say that. And and now it, I think a lot of the rest of the media are behind that were a little bit sceptical about this. You know, they, you told us you made the bid and you didn't, and and everyone everyone did it. Then everyone went with that. Um. So yeah, it's a little, little bit more skeptical. Little bit more skeptical. I am more skeptical now about Qatar than I was before. I must admit, I thought they, I did believe the hype. I thought they were probably the favourites, but I'm not sure what to believe now which isn't a good sign for United fans. Can I just ask you, Scott, do you think mm-hmm. how Manchester United are performing on the field is going to dictate what the Glazers ultimately decide to do and how firm they stand in terms of their price? Because if you're winning and you're looking good and competitive again, which you have been, is there more of an inclination that they're going to stick around? Or do you think it doesn't matter? There's probably an element of that. Um, the very fact that Obviously, Sir Alex Ferguson left 10 years ago this year. They've had, they've run through managers like Moyes, like win now managers like Jose Mourinho, managers who are out of their depth like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, they seem now to have lucked out <laughs> with Eric Ten Hag, but maybe that is maybe more a reflection on Ed Woodward than anything else. Because if Ed Woodward was. Ed Woodward was the one making these decisions to, you know, bring in all these box office managers. Now Richard Arnold's moved into that spot. John Murta's more prevalent. They've targeted, they spent time, they targeted Eric Ten Hag 
months in advance, did the interview process properly. Now they have a manager who's seeming to get... There was a conversation before Eric Ten Hag came in. How many players have actually improved at Man United in the last 10 years? You could probably count them on, on one hand. Now you can say there's probably more than two hands in the space of six months. You could probably... Pretty much every player in the squad has improved under Eric Ten Hag. Um, and maybe that suggests to them, in a sense, that, oh, maybe we've been getting it wrong all along with Ed uh, making the decisions maybe if we make good footballing decisions the club will start to be to start to succeed again and that will have inevitably lead to more money being generated and this kind of thing that's been the united fans point the entire time don't try and run it and get in the top four every year and just make that money come in if your club succeeds inevitably it'll snowball um but obviously the glazers have done enough damage over the last 17 years to the club or 18 years now 18 years this year i think it is They've done enough damage in that time that every single Manchester United fan believes they do not deserve another chance and would like to see a sale pushed through to the right bidder. Um, but obviously, it remains to be seen. The Glazers have stuck through some pretty difficult times. I think this would be the worst by a country mile if they turned back now and said, now nah, we're not selling. I think that would probably be the worst it's ever been. I think that'd be a complete PR disaster. Especially if it happened... What was if was if it stayed, Scott? But then said that in here, but here we're staying. But here's Harry Kane and Frankie De Jong. But with gritted teeth, Scott. Uh, I don't think you're, that's the, your dream. That's your the, dream summer. The what thing is, though. The back? thing is, though, they've done that for they've done that for mm. years. They've done that for the last ten years. Oh, here's Paul Pogba. Here is Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Here is Angel Di Maria. Here is Harry Maguire. <laughs> Here are all, all these amazing players that we're spending millions and millions on. Look how much we care. Look how much we care. And that gives the impression to people outside the club who don't don't support United that they're spending hell of a lot of money, obviously. And they actually... You, you have no right to complain about how these people are running you. Look how much money you've spent. But it's it's been about not making the right decisions. And I think they've had enough... That, that ain't going to wash with me, especially, we'll see how this develops. If there's suggestions now in the next 10 days or so that the Glazers are going to stay and United fans get wind of that, there's going to be do, some do real... Do the Glazers are sort, of, are sort of going down, uh, they're thinking, Scott, look, we, we picked ETH, we finally got this right and we don't want to walk away from it now. Or do you think it is... It, if we stay to another two years, it could be 10 billion the worth because look what they're worth. And we've had rubbish managers, but like we finally got a good manager. It, it, that's probably part of the Glazers thinking, thinking if we, possibly. If, we, if we stick to ETH, then 10 billion could be within side. Possibly. Absolutely. Um, but they'll, they'll never, the Glazers are never going to be good with the, the United fans, given the mm. amount of debt that's been loaded on the club, the dividends yeah. that are taken. Um, it's just, it's not going to wash until, until they're gone. They, they have muddied the water way too much. It's, mm. They are never going to be able to come back from this. And if they do decide to stay on, it ain't going to be pretty, <laughs> is all I can say. Uh, anyway, let's talk about potential players that could arrive at United in, well, not maybe this summer, maybe in the next few years. We'll talk Diogo Costa to start with, Graham. We wrote a story um, last week on the potential situation at Porto, meaning that Diogo Costa, who has a massive release clause in his contract, might become available for a little bit cheaper than 
was previously thought, because obviously the release clause was put in his contract, that would be then, oh, clubs, you have to meet this valuation for us to sell him because we're not in a position where we need to sell. But Diogo Costa has a lot of interest in him from Manchester United, Tottenham, Chelsea, who are all looking for new goalkeepers or looking to address that position. Uh, what is the situation with Diogo Costa and Porto? Yeah, it's an interesting situation. Obviously, they're riding high in Portugal as ever, but behind the scenes, it really isn't going well. Um, Sergio Conceição, the head coach, threatened to walk out last week. Um, the president, Pinto da Costa, um, was very angry with his comments. It, it, behind the scenes, it's all a mess, really. Basically, be on end all over it is that he's been told Conceição that the club needs to raise 50 million euros before they, he can buy. And he's seeing Benfica, who are flying in the league, Sporting, who've got a very good squad. This Porto squad isn't quite there at the moment. And he obviously wants to 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 buy. And he's not got that chance. He might have to sell Diogo Costa and then not being able to buy still. It's a bit of a mess off the field at Porto at the minute. And yet, we will get, some teams will get that chance, Scott, maybe to sign Costa. There's Evan Nielsen, the striker, who's of interest. It's not a, when you go through the Porto squads, Scott, I know when we were doing the story, it's not massively loaded with start sellable assets. Is not it? Benfica, is it? No, it's really? really not. Yeah, it's really, and sporting as well. It really yeah. isn't. There's only two or three there, isn't there? Um, Costa, Evan Nielsen, um, João Mario, who's a converted fullback. There's not that many Rubich. there. <laughs> oh, there's, there's, yeah, there's a yeah, the Serbian midfielder as well, the former Liverpool guy. But it's not, yeah, it's not many those there. When you, it was surprised actually how good, how well they've been doing considering that squad. Um, so yeah, Costa is a player who a lot of English teams like. We don't know what's going to happen with goalkeeper Dominoes yet. It's going to come this summer. Um, we know Hugo Lloris is going to be leaving Tottenham. He's not going to be number one. My United, we're still waiting on De Gea. Is, that, is, is it as cut and dry as that? Oh, Lloris is gone. Lloris won't be not supposed number one next season. The, the, I think that everyone at the club knows they've kept him a year too long. Um, and I think Lloris manager. He... Yeah, Lloris just isn't good enough. He, he they know that. Spurs, Spurs are fully looking to buy a new number one. There's a lot, and there is a lot of options out there. We know so from Andrea Nana to Jordan Pickford. They were linked to Dean Henderson, which was rubbish, actually. Um, you know, it, it sounded a bit ludicrous. <laughs> if you could, if, you, if all, all you need to do to get Harry Kane was offer Dean Henderson, you'd have done it last summer, probably. Um, but yeah, that's Dean Henderson is not in contention to be Tottenham's number one, having lost his place at Nottingham Forest, which hasn't done him much good. So, yeah, Costa, I like this guy. As we reported last year, Scott, late last year, we did a story about United Scouts. They love this guy, Costa. We saw him a bit at the World Cup, but he's only 23. Um, he's got a lot of um, improvement in him as well, um, but but the cost was prohibitive, especially when you can think Inter might be selling Onana for less than half that, etc. So it's really interesting one as part I want to keep an eye on. It's not just United, but it is Tottenham as well. If if this carries on and Conte Sao leaves, there may be a bit of a fire seller. If you can get cost of half the price, 30, 40, I think a lot of teams would consider that. You know, I do have the decision on David De Gea's future to make as well. They're in talks about a reduced contract. Obviously, Dean Henderson up for sale through United, right? Is that is that cut and dry? I think in the ideal world, United would love him back there as number two. But as we spoke off pod a few weeks ago, what's gone on behind the scenes with Dean Henderson? He's felt like he's let down. I don't think there's a way back to all traffic. That, not enough, that interview he did when he, when he joined Forest mm. was ill-advised, I would say. Uh, yeah, and but now his value is, you know, what is it plummeting every week now? It probably is. You know, he's he's on the bench at Forest now, which isn't a great look. Indeed. Let's talk about 
a valuation on a player who is just, this is just going to go up and up and up. Evan Ferguson, 90 mins, Jack Gallagher's favorite player ever. Uh, <laughs> the future of Ireland. <laughs> the future of Irish football. Uh, the future of Brighton as well. Uh, there's interest in him, obviously, Graham. Uh, I'll come mm. back to you for this before we go to Toby. But um, yeah, Evan Ferguson, Brighton. There's a lot of players at Brighton. We talk about Porto not having that many options. Brighton are a club that have got a hell of a lot of sellable assets. Evan Ferguson, one of them. How soon will that happen, if at all? Yeah, he won't. He won't be going this summer. Obviously, we we reported that um, Bayern Munich and Barcelona amongst the teams watching him, uh, and you know he's one of the best young strikers in Europe at the moment. So, so it, it goes hand in hand with some of the best clubs in Europe are watching him. Napoli looking at him as well. Napoli, an interesting one, you know. Osimhen leaves, but yeah, he's happy at Brighton. This is a guy who's been known about since his days at Derry. Um, well, oh, was he Derry? I'm again. I'm getting Jack's team confused now, aren't I? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure if it, I'm sure if it was Derry Jack. Really. I don't think Jack, it was. I think he made his debut at Derry. Yeah, Derry Jack told me. That's why I'm sorry. I'm getting confused. I apologize to the listeners. Jack was telling me about how he saw him make his debut. Um, yeah, so we've got Derry on our minds, Jack's team. But yeah, he's a Jack's a very happy Irishman. Brighton fans are very happy with this guy. He's he's a really class actor. I mean, I saw him early early this season. Um, demolish help demolish my own Middlesbrough um, in the FA Cup, and that that result actually now. It looks even better for Brighton. They did absolutely demolish us, and we're probably the best team in the championship at the minute. Um, and he was brilliant that day. He, he's a big strapping, strapping guy, eighteen, but he's got so much more to his game. He really has got a wonderful touch. He's clever. You see him off the ball. He's really clever. I think in two years' time, we could be talking about one of the most in-demand forwards in Europe. But I think he will stay at Brighton. I think he's clever. He knows it. Two years at Brighton, I think he'll do him the world of good. I don't think he's quite ready for that move just yet. Um, but yeah, all the clubs are looking at him. United and Liverpool, to their credit, they, they knew about him before he went to Brighton. Um, he went there with his um, international colleague, Andy Moran, who is a name to watch as well. He's going to be a huge start at Brighton as well in the years to come. But yeah, they went over there. They knew about him. So yeah, he won't be moving this summer, but it doesn't stop the clubs wanting and watching him. And it may not stop any clubs bidding um, as mm. well, guys, but he's under contract to 2026. And he's going to get a big new deal this summer, having proved himself under Deserby. So, yeah, it's not a surprise that we know these clubs are watching, and that's what we're reporting um, as is fact. But, yeah, he, he won't be leaving the MX this summer. Other players first, if if they are to sell at all? It's it's a fascinating one. Well, one of the players, we did a story on McCall- Alexis McAllister. We did the story was last week that we our understanding is he wants to leave this summer. His father, um, Carlos, has confirmed that. He's confirmed. He's literally said he's talking to clubs. Um, he's wanting to leave. Um, so it was nice of him to confirm that for us. Um, but um, yeah, there's there's some Brighton are going to be in for a busy summer. Paul Barber's in for a busy summer in the negotiation um, chair. They've, they've got a solid match over the line. Matoma is one who the club's looking at. I think he'll get his new deal. He'll stay. But I think McAllister and even Caicedo, he did sign that new deal, may not stop clubs coming to ask for him. So yeah. It's going to be a frantic summer for Brighton. And I think we may see a couple of them leave, maybe. But I think McAllister's the most likely at this point, if I'm being honest. Um, but yeah, we'll see a few more new deals there. But they're going to have to pay these guys as well now. The Brighton are a, a top six, top eight team. 
And that's a consideration for these terms. It's all very well handing new contracts. Now, Matoma, to get his new contract, he's going to have to get a huge contract there. You know, if he's got some of Europe's best looking at him. And he deserves it. He's been one of the Premier League's best players, literally, this season. So you're going to have to pay him as that. thing is with Brighton, they've got all of these saleable assets now, McAllister, Caicedo, Ferguson, maybe within the next 12, 18 months. They've got Sarmiento and Ciso. And yeah. the Argentine kid, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name, but it begins with B. Uh, yeah, him. They're all tipped to go towards the top of the game as well. And they're not even first team regulars. Andy Moran as well, the, um, the young Irish boy as well. This is, got the conveyor belt, isn't it? This is yeah. the thing I was just going to say. Brighton, if they sell McAllister, might not even have to go and buy somebody because they'll just try and they'll just elevate somebody into his spot. You know? They've got Kasper Kozlowski as well. Mm. One of the highest, highly rated defensive midfielders who's been on loan at Vitesse on M, I think, um, and had a loan spell away from the club last season. When Brighton signed him as a 17-year-old, it was a, seen as a real coup. He's rated very highly. Mm. I think he's going to come back to the Amex and will be knocking on the door of a first-team place within the next year or so. So that's part, the, part, well part of, that's, that's part of the pro- process, isn't it, guys? Where It's a bit like when Dortmund, you, you sign for Dortmund, you know if you do well, you will get sold. And that's probably going to be Brighton's selling point at some some point, isn't it? When Matoma signs this new deal, there probably will be a release clause in there or a clause saying, look, continue this for 18 months and we will sell you to United, Liverpool, Madrid, whoever. And, and you've got to do that. You can't just not, not sit on them forever, can you? Because otherwise these young players won't sign for you in the first place. Yeah, it's a difficult model to... Obviously, it's a great model to kind of get to that point. But as Dortmund have found, I know the top of Bundesliga at the moment, but it's how you make the transition from that mm-hmm. club to the next step to kind of live. It, it's hard, isn't it? Because that, selling to. It's hard to score, isn't it? Because that's how they got Haaland, Bellingham, Sancho in the first place by selling them that promise of that dream of you come and perform for us, get us to the top of the league, and then you will join the team on that next level. It, it, it's a tough sell. Well, if, you don't, if, you don't, if you suddenly don't allow it. They're not going to have any problems attracting young players, are they, in the years to come? Because they've got so mm. much evidence already of the progression that they can provide, like Dortmund. And they've got amazing training facilities as well. So yeah, I think yeah. Brighton are going to continue over the next two or three years, snapping up good young players who you might expect mm. to go to better clubs or you feel are ready to go to better clubs. But they'll pick Brighton so they can develop for another two or three years. And that's how they'll continue to... To make a boatload of money, Tony Bloom must be um, loving his well, bank account. Well, he, well, he, it, he loved it at Cheltenham. One of his horses won there, but <laughs> he's he loves to gamble, doesn't he? And that's what he does, Tony Bloom. He, he gambles on these players. But as Scott said, what when do you get to that point of saying, look, if we keep Casido, Matilda, Ferguson, can we challenge top four if we keep some of these lads? What when do, it's when do you get to that point, Scott? Isn't it when do you? When do you draw the line and say, actually, guys, we're going, we're going to become a Champions League contender now, so you're not being sold? It's a tough one, isn't it? Do you guys, on just on Brighton in general, I, I'm seeing a lot of people tipping Brighton to actually challenge for the top four. They've mm-hmm. played 25 games, 42 points. They are seven points off fourth with three games in hand. Newcastle are 40, uh, two points off top four with two games in hand. They're in that conversation, but Brighton's running is difficult. Does anybody give them a chance of making top four? I don't I think, think so. Personally, okay. I don't I don't think so. I think they've got a couple of defeats in them. As you say, they've got to go to Spurs. They've got to go to Chelsea. They've got to play Manchester City. They've got to play Arsenal. They've got some difficult fixtures in there. And we're getting towards the point of the season where the team's at the bottom. 
start picking up points that you don't expect. Um, so you'd imagine Brighton's performance levels will dip a little bit as well. They struggled actually when Deserby first went in, as you might in the recall. cup as well. Still, yeah. So how many games they got to play between now and the end of May? Probably twelve or thirteen. If you can throw the cup in, it's a lot of games. Got quite a lot of games in hand, haven't they? Thirteen plus cup. Thirteen yeah. league games plus cup. Good for I your FPL top, teams. I think top. I can't. I find it hard. The only reason I don't. I think they are good enough for top four, but I think because you have to over, overhaul all three: Liverpool, Newcastle, and Tottenham. I think that's a big ask. I think maybe even they could get above two of them, but to get above three of them, I think it may be a bit too much. I can see them finishing top six. Before we before we dip back into transfers on the subject of top four, the season's resuming. What's your what's your shouts at the moment, Graham? Um. I called Liverpool a few weeks back. Um, I'm still going with Liverpool to finish fourth. Um, I think Liverpool, Tottenham and Newcastle probably and Brighton be fairly level. But I think Liverpool will just have enough in there. Even um, with, in the next week, Man City away, Chelsea away and Arsenal at home. I think because of that, they'll, they'll beat teams around them. Where I think, some of, I think Tottenham, Newcastle and Brighton aren't as well equipped as Liverpool to beat those teams. I think Do Liverpool we? will get some results against those teams. I think it's between Tottenham and Liverpool as well. So this is a very key week for Liverpool. Depending on how this week goes, you might rule them out of contention. But I just look at their squad and the fact that they've got players coming back that they might start pulling things together. I said this to you, Scott, about six weeks ago. I just have that nagging feeling they're going to start winning games again um, just because they score goals. So... If I had to pick one, I'd probably still say them just over Spurs, particularly now Conte's gone and it's all a bit uncertain. That front three's clicking as well now, isn't it? Gakpo, um, Darwin and Salah. Diaz is back as well. I, I saw yeah. them at Newcastle and that three were exceptional. They really, they really were. I thought now they're clicking. That's a, they're a different time. I think they're a different team now to what the team we saw last, late last year. Less less losses to Bournemouth, who Graham really rates highly. Uh, <laughs> is that well? And <laughs> they didn't let me down, did they? So I think, yeah, I I must have, um, if we um, well, like, what's our bottom three as we stand now, Gary? What's mine is when we get to go on. Yeah, well, my, my, I did mine yesterday. Mine is Southampton, Bournemouth, and Nottingham Forest because I looked at Nottingham Forest running, and wow. it's grim. It's not good. Uh, I was just looking at the screen. For, um, I would put yeah Southampton. No, I, I'm Leicester West Ham. As we keep saying on every week on this, how how many more excuses can we keep making for these two teams? But for, I didn't realize Forest Forest are really very dropped down a little bit, haven't they? Uh, Southampton, Forest, and yeah, I'm going Does, to he to wants to say Bournemouth, but he doesn't want to. Say Southampton, yet. Forest, and Everton. Mm. Interesting. I keep. I should be putting West Ham and Leicester in this, but I'm not. And it's not just because of TC. Because I, I just think they're both too good to go down. But they need to start picking up points. <laughs> do, do you want to do your take, Toby? Uh, Bournemouth, Southampton, and one of Forest or Leeds. Fair play. Nottingham Forest running. You're home. You're home. Wolves, Leeds, Leeds away, Villa away, Man United at home, Liverpool away, Brighton at home, Brentford away, Southampton at home. Chelsea away, Arsenal at home, Palace away. That is, there's a couple That's, of winnable the, games in there. They pick up the home. I think, think Forest home form. If they are going to stay up, it's a home form, isn't it? And at least they have got some form where some of those teams down there, uh, West Ham cough cough, um, they haven't got any sort of form to hang on to. There's That's two the games I fancied them in at home, and that's this weekend against Wolves, 
and May eighth against Southampton. The rest, Toby. Of you you must have looked at this, Toby. What what's the magic points for the season? Do we think? Do you think it's way under thirty? Is it, or do do we have to get to forty? Uh, well, a lot of teams are playing each other, so it could still. I think it's probably still going to be forty. Um, but I reckon bottom of the table, uh, up to twelfth, could finish similar points difference to what we see now. It's what five between Palace and bottom of the table. I reckon it's going to be neck and neck. It'll be six or seven points covering an abundance of teams. I've changed my mind, by the way, guys. I'm putting Southampton, um, Forest and Palace. Palace on my third. Palace's running is decent. Any, anything you can tell us, Graham, on the Everton developments? I, I'm sorry I'm putting you on the spot here, but uh, what what is the situation there, if you could sum it up? Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mess of... I'm being told, you know, if, if Everton go down... It could be some serious, serious ramifications. Obviously, they got hurt by um, the um, the pull out. Was it ASM? Um, and I forget the guy, the guy involved in them, when he had to pull his money out because of the war, the war in Ukraine. Um, there's serious issues at Everton. There really is. They're doing a lot of debt. The stadium is costing a lot of money, and they will finish it. The cost, I'm not suggesting for me, they won't be finished or anything. But if they're playing in that stadium in the championship, it, who knows? Who knows? I don't. Want, I don't want to speculate about admin or whatever. But I'm told if Everton go down, there's a lot, of, lot of pain to follow that. Anyway, let's get back in to talking about transfers, Toby. Uh, Florian Verts is a subject that we've covered on Mighty Men over the last week or so. What can you tell us on his future? Yeah, he's a, one of Europe's most highly regarded teenagers, but unfortunately missed the World Cup because he suffered a serious knee ligament injury. But he's back playing well for Bayer Leverkusen, um, has been linked with Barcelona in the past few months and actually kind of spoke about his future during the international break. Um kind of played it down and said he was focusing on his future at Leverkusen and kind of playing football again. But sources have told 90 Men that Manchester City are keeping an eye on him. Um, they've always had a, a bit of an interest in Verts, but they've kind of reignited that now. And we've spoken at some length about the fact that City potentially have a midfield rebuild on the way. And a creative midfielder, somebody like Verts, who's only 19 years old, has got lots of development still to do, um, working under Pep Guardiola, he's an option. And, you know, I think it depends on how he finishes the season and what happens with Bernardo Silva's future, etc. But City are looking at this and he's one of many, many possibilities for them. But uh, Leverkusen won't let him go cheaply. He's under contract until 2027. But if a sizable offer came in, I guess it's one of those where you'd never say never, knowing the the firepower that City have got financially, Leverkusen. If they received an offer that was too good to turn down, would possibly let them go. Interesting indeed. Let's let's move on to uh, Chelsea. Always a topic on talking transfers, given how many... I don't want to make this the same joke of how many players they've got, but they've got a lot of players. <laughs> they still want to sign a few players. We talked about Diogo Costa and interest in him already. Uh, but they have some players who... They have a rule, Graham, on new contracts. And we've seen it with new signings coming in. Eight, nine-year contracts, however long they've been. But they also want to get to a point where 
they, I think, is this right? They don't really want players going into the last two years of their contract, especially the, the last year of their contract. Obviously, they have a case with N'Golo Kante, who is out of contract this summer. Interest from PSG. And as we covered in a story the other day, uh, Mateo Kovacic is one of a number of players out of contract in 2024. What's Chelsea's approach with these kinds of players? Because they do obviously have to trim the squad down a little bit. Um, let's maybe start with let's start with Kante. I'll, I'll, I'll come to you on Kante. What's the latest on his future? Yeah, Chelsea trying to time him down to a new two-year deal. They're confident. Um, they have been for a few weeks now. Talks are ongoing. But obviously, the fact that he's out of contract at the end of the season, Scott, means he is free to talk to other clubs. And one of those is PSG. We understand those talks have continued. It's an option for Kante. You know? Does he stay in London where he's very happy? Or does he have a couple of years in Paris? I think that is an option he's seriously considering. But from our, our standpoint, speaking to Chelsea sources, they're confident that he will stay. You know, the, the reason, and I've been told the reason they want him is that experience, the keep the squad together. You know, Jorginho's already left. Kovacic is someone we'll talk about as well. He's a possibility to leave as well if he doesn't sign this contract. And, and yeah, they want Kante is close, but, you know, they've got so many other players to get rid of. Um, it's a strange situation. They are very busy there. But yeah, this thing, Scott, it's just unofficial, unwritten rule that they don't really want to get dragged into these things. There have been 18 months left on the deal. We can see it with Mason Mount and Kovacic. You know, they don't want to lose any players on, on free transfers. It's not good business. So if those two players particularly aren't going to commit, Chelsea have told them they'll both be sold. Yeah, so let's come on to Kovacic there because he is... We, we've covered Mason Mount on previous episodes of this podcast. That is still developing, obviously. Kovacic... We're in the captain's armband for Chelsea in recent games against Dortmund and Everton. Uh, is a very, very good footballer. Um, a fixture in that Chelsea team. But obviously they do want to... They signed into Fernandez. I think they do still want a midfielder. They want to bring the age... They want a new generation, basically. And Kovacic is 29, 28, 29. Uh, and entering that final 18 months or has entered that final 18 months of his contract. He's, he's attracting interest from some Premier League rivals, Graham. We named Manchester United, Liverpool, Manchester City as well. Would really fit into a few of those teams. And the, 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 the direction we took with that story is Manchester United obviously want to sign. Eric Ten Hag has wanted Frankie de Jong for as long as he has been at Manchester United and ever since before he joined as well. Difficult deal to do. They couldn't do it last summer. Uh, Frankie de Jong, obviously we've touched on the issues with Barcelona in this, on this podcast already, but it will not come cheap. Mateo Kovacic maybe fits the profile as an alternative. Ball playing, central midfielder. How how big is the interest in him from United in particular, I suppose, Graham? Yeah, from, from all these teams, he's an option that has suddenly arisen due to this rule at Chelsea. And obviously Chelsea as well. I think we're seeing a bit more of this in the Premier League now, guys, where they're willing to big clubs are willing to deal with each other. We've seen it with City and Arsenal, Jesus and Chenko. We saw Raheem Sterling go to Chelsea and, and Todd Burley's not averse to doing business with other teams. And that could be a benefit to the likes of Liverpool, United City. As as Toby said before, City, for instance, are going through this overhaul where you could see um Calvin Phillips, someone else we'll talk about later. Um, Gundogan, Silva, all leave. So to to get a, a ready-made Premier League player like Kovacic, 
it, it, it's just a no-brainer. I think Scott, if he became on the market for, what, 30, 40 million, for Liverpool, City, United, there's not many of those types of players who are Premier League ready, Premier League-ish. Cheap-ish, you don't, you know what you're getting straight out the bag. Um, there's not been, you don't get this chance to sign a player this of this caliber very often, and it's just an absolute no-brainer. Where I don't think he's necessarily at the top of, I might say he's not a top United's list, not top of Liverpool's or City's, but if he's on the market, they're going to bid for him because he just slots into all their squads seamlessly. Yes, indeed. Uh, we talked a little bit about Chelsea wanting to evolve their midfield a little bit more. There's a player from Borussia Mönchengladbach, Graham. Mm. Who is in of interest to Chelsea? Yeah, Corner. Um Kadi, you pronounce it quite Quadio for me. Guardio Kone. Guardio Kone, yeah. Um it's interesting. Him and Kefren Turam, um, these two very similar players get a lot of interest, these two young French guys. Um Kone is a gladback, holding midfielder, very physical, very highly rated, and he's one who we can confirm at Chelsea have been in contact with, like him. And Chelsea, they do want this option in there. You know, if Kovacic did leave, you know, Declan Rice is still very high on Chelsea's list. Um, Lavia is a player they love at Southampton. So you can see, you can see the sort of players they want. Uh, and Kone is very much in this category. He has interest. Newcastle like this guy a lot. Whether Newcastle probably go for a player in that mould who has Premier League experience, that's what we're hearing from St. James's Park. But they do like this player and watched him a lot. Um, he's wanting to keep an eye on he, he wants to move to Premier League, not unsurprisingly. So we know Chelsea made a lot of signings, but don't be surprised to see Kone if he comes in without Stamford Bridge. They like him a lot. Yeah, they will not stop their spending, I'm sure, but they do have some players to get out because they have too many. As I say, oh, on every show. There's, a, there's a lot. There's at least at least a dozen exits coming from Chelsea, and they know that. Um, it's not just about balancing the box. It's just there's probably a dozen players who we literally don't want. <laughs> That's what I just want to quickly say. The Kante thing surprises me a little bit. I know he has yeah. experience, mm. but he's 31. He's played two games all season. They've got so many options. They're looking at somebody like Kone from Gladbach. Kante's wages are still going to be in excess of 200 grand a week, right? He's not going to take yeah. a major cut. Do what's, Why are they giving him another two-year contract? It doesn't make sense to me if they've got this... Mm what seemed like a bottomless pit of money and there's so much young talent around who are all playing high-level football already, it just baffles me. I guess but it's experiencing, TC. It's very much this Todd Burley regime because the previous regime, we're looking at Jorginho and Kante both leaving and freeing up an awful lot of cash um, because, you know, and Kovacic. Imagine if those, and, and we're looking at those three. If M3 left, we're talking, what, £800,000 a week between them, probably? Um, yeah, I, from what I'm told, and I've asked this question, and it's to do with the experience, squad togetherness, and what he brings to the camp. But I'm with you, TC. I, I think this is a contract too many for Kante at Chelsea. And I think, you know, if you're Chelsea and he's in talks with PSG, you say thanks for, thanks for the memories, but let him go. I, I agree with you, TC. I don't really see where Kante fits into this. But hey, as Scott will testify to, there's a lot of Chelsea decisions which we don't really get. Yeah, we'll come back to Chelsea on another episode of Talking Transfers, but we will go across London for some irons in the fire and to Toby TC Top Cat for some updates on... Let's start with Calvin Phillips, Toby. What, is there anything you can tell me? Because West Ham wanted Calvin Phillips, didn't they? They did. West and Ham. He ended it. up going to Manchester City. 
He went and to Mon- he's played he's played three hundred and forty six minutes, if I remember rightly, this season. The bid for him and Rafinha, that seems so long ago, Toby, and we even forget a West Ham bid for Phillips and Rafinha while they're at least it's was it just is that last Jan the January just January twenty two. Yeah, yeah it, I, you barely remember that. And then twenty four hours later also bid for Darwin Nunes as well, <laughs> while he was at Benfica. Wild times they were, but yes, Calvin Phillips was a target for West Ham back then, as you've said, Scotty then went to Manchester City in the summer for 42 million signed a six-year contract and I think at the time we were thinking is he really going to be a regular starter at City they've got Rodri they've got an abundance of midfield talent he's just going to be a squad player right Um, and that's kind of come to pass but the main issue has been Calvin Phillips's injury worries have continued and he's barely played Uh, 56 of those minutes that you spoke of Scott have come in the Premier League um, he's played for England more than he's played for Manchester City in the Premier League. And Pep Guardiola is a bit fed up, to be honest. He's made comments about Phillips's fitness uh, and general conditioning over the course of the season. And he's not really looked to utilise him when he has been in the matchday squad. He's been sat on the bench with a watching brief for most of the season. And Calvin Phillips now, I think, is accepting that this move is not going to work out the way that he hoped it would. Uh, He's ready to leave the Etihad if an appropriate offer comes in this summer. West Ham still retain an interest. Former club Leeds also looking. I don't think they ever wanted to lose Calvin Phillips, did they? That much was clear. They wanted to keep hold of him. They wanted to keep hold of Rafinha, but it felt at the time that they'd outgrown Leeds. But Phillips's career hasn't really progressed at City in any way, shape or form. So Leeds looking at it, but we also understand that Newcastle, Leicester, Wolves are sniffing around and could potentially be in the mix if he's available. Um, And the key thing is that Man City don't stand in the way of players who want to leave. We've said that before. Pep Guardiola doesn't want players in the squad who don't want to be there. Um, I think in Phillips's case, he's probably more than happy to allow him to move on as part of this midfield rebuild. And West Ham is a potential landing spot for him, particularly if Declan Rice leaves as we expect him to in the summer. Um, The one thing that obviously plays into this is any move to West Ham would be dependent on preserving Premier (coughs) League status. And that is not guaranteed at this moment in time. Things are very, very tough at the bottom and anyone can beat anyone in that bottom nine. So West Ham might be looking at slightly different targets depending on how the season pans out. What about manager targets or managers yeah. uh, I, I said this earlier this week that I think there's probably from those nine teams there might be the time for at least three or four <coughs> of them to change their manager um, maybe I, I'm, this is me speculating this is not Intel looks like Brendan Rogers at some point should probably end up leaving Leicester it seems like they've got a part ways West Ham, David Moyes, is that going to continue, Toby, do you, do you think? Well, he's been under huge pressure, as you know. Uh, six of the bottom nine have changed their managers this season. Leicester, Nottingham Forest and West Ham, the only three to not do so. Brendan Rodgers has been under pressure at some point. Steve Cooper, there's been rumours about his future actually in the last 48 hours at Forest. David Moyes has stuck around to the surprise of many, having led West Ham to sixth and seventh place finishes. 
I think the the premise is that David Sullivan feels like there's no manager who could have come in to do a better job than David Moyes right now. We didn't expect West Ham to be in a relegation battle, but that's where they are. And Sullivan felt that if there was anybody who was going to get West Ham out of the mess that they're in, it was probably David Moyes. And that's why he's not been sacked to this point. However, it is our understanding that at the end of the season, come what may, even if West Ham are relegated or if West Ham stay in the Premier League, David Moyes is not going to be continuing at West Ham. He does have a, a contract that runs for another year, but West Ham clearly haven't advanced in the way that many thought they would, signing the likes of Paqueta, Skamaka in the summer. And David Moyes doesn't really seem to align with those kind of players. So we understand that there's potentially going to be a passing of the ways in the summer come what may. Um, and there are players within that squad who may look to to engineer a move away from the club or at least question their future at the club if Moyes remains in charge. And I think it's kind of West Ham looking at it and thinking what's more important here, the players who are going to be here to take us to the next level or the manager who's out of contract in 12 months' time, which one do you sacrifice? And at the moment, probably David Moyes is going to be on the chopping block. We'll see how it pans out. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of managers on the market Poch, Julian <laughs> <laughs> Nagelsmann. We've seen West Ham like to punch above their weight a little bit. If West, if West Ham stay up, obviously <laughs> everything then resets, doesn't it? And you just cycle back to the argument of West Ham play in a 65,000 seater stadium with 60,000 season ticket holders. There's in, huge, London. There's, yeah. in London, there's huge commercial value. Everybody's starting again from zero points. It's a different outlook. And you actually look at the squad. Paqueta, Skamaka, Agued, Zuma, Declan Rice for now. It's a good squad. They should be doing far better than what they are doing. So that there would be an appeal. I think Pochettino, etc., is a step too far. But you can understand why West Ham would perhaps want to be more ambitious with their next appointment, given the calibre and type of player that they've now got in their squad. Who would you like to see? I can't answer that question at this stage. I just want to stay yeah, up. I think, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't answer anything I just, else. I just, I just hope your eyes are not cast towards Riverside. But I think Michael Carrick would be a very interesting option that if is, he doesn't guide us. That is the um, one. If it, 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 what you need to, what people need to look at with Carrick, and he hasn't been there, but look at the football. The football he's playing is the system he's got. It's very um, based around what we see from City and and Arsenal. It's not based at all from what he saw at United it's bringing, this, it's bringing the full-backs in as the extra midfielder and it's the way he works and, and for him to get 20 goals out of true Brackpom, he should be manager of the year because that's a sensational performance, he's turned um, someone who's set to go to Greece on loan into the top strike outside the Premier League, it's a remarkable effort but hey, hopefully um, he'll be pitting his wits against the new West Ham manager next season in TC, in, in the top, I should say in the top flight rather than championship <laughs> In the championship. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Top flight rather than championship. Uh, yes. Graham, take us home for today's show. Ismail Ducore of Strasbourg. Interesting. Yeah. Two of the Premier League's biggest clubs. Yeah, he's a right back who's come on the scene this season at Strasbourg. Done very well. Part of the French under-20 squad who are currently in Marbella playing a tournament, um, which I didn't realise, against um, Holland, USA and England over there. Um, so that'll be a very nice tournament to watch, wouldn't it, with those those teams over there? But yeah, this 
kid. He's played right back most of the season, can play centre-half, can play defensive midfield. And it's an area that we know Newcastle and Arsenal are both looking at. They're looking around Europe for the best young right-backs. We saw the both keen on Ivan Fresneda, um, the young Spaniard at Real Valladolid. So it's no surprise they're in for Takura. I think it's the thing we're seeing guys with these teams now where they're trying to get them at this first option rather than letting them go elsewhere and then having to pay an extra... 30 million for him. They're trying to get them at source now. And a lot of clubs are doing this now. We've seen Real Madrid do it with Chumani, you know, rather than letting him go elsewhere for a couple of years, trying to sign him at source now. And then from what my understanding is, Arsenal and Newcastle have both picked out this guy. He apparently had, um, a French sources tell us, he had a sensational game against PSG, against Mbappe, I think it was early in the season. Um, he, Mbappe did score an injury time winner, but I think Mbappe came out and spoke about Dakari afterwards, how good he was. And since then, a lot of teams have been looking, including PSG as well. PSG have got their eyes on him. So, interesting what I keep that. Yeah, so we've seen Frisner hit the headlines, but I think Dakura is one very much on, on the radar of Newcastle and Arsenal as well at the minute. Yes, indeed. That is a bumper show. We just passed an hour. Congratulations if you've stuck with us for this entire time. Uh, how? Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, us dropping little jokes uh, on... West Ham transfer plan or managerial plans, this kind of thing. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, talking transfers. We'll be back next week. The transfer window is getting closer and closer. Uh, this summer promises to be a big one as ever. Uh, I'm Scott Saunders. I've been joined by Graham Bailey, Nightman's transfer correspondent, Nightman's top cat, Toby Cudworth. Please subscribe on all your major podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders, at Toby underscore Cudworth, at Graham Bailey. We remain verified for now uh, we might not be for much longer uh we'll see we need different different social media platforms we need to plug those instead i've made this joke already today you can also follow 90 min 90 min underscore football on all those major platforms 90 for all the latest and 90min.com forward slash talking dash transfers for all of the latest exclusive information from us and the rest of the team thanks very much everyone for listening we'll see you soon <laughs>